Morning, everyone. Good to see you all, and yes, uh, very happy Mother's Day to all the uh, to all the mums today. I uh, hope you enjoy your day and uh, your uh, along with your families if you're able to. There's a book that came out back in 2007, a book that uh, some of you might have been familiar with. There's a book called The Shack. It became a number one bestseller around, uh, particularly on the New York uh, bestseller list, and uh, and received a number of different awards. And actually received a, uh, a distinguished award from the Evangelical um, Christian Publishers Association. Um, according to the author, The Shack, uh, this book, which became uh, really, uh, as I said, this bestseller, it actually, um, The Shack itself, this, uh, this dilapidated building, became in, in the book the central location for where the main character or the main events of this particular story played out. Um, and the, uh, according to the author, the, uh, the Shack was actually a metaphor. He used it as a metaphor for the, the places you get stuck, the places you get hurt, that you might get damaged, the thing where shame or hurt is centred. And it's at this shack where this, the main character of the, uh, the story encounters these manifestations of the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What was rather unusual about the book, and which is also uh, quite, controver- quite controversial because it created all kinds of debate in, in theological circles, was the fact that God the Father was actually portrayed as an African-American woman. And many people, including myself, I'll add, struggled with the fact that this was theologically wrong. Um, and uh, although it was a, a wonderful bestseller, and many Christians, I believe, read the, read the book, but uh, it really focused on this this whole theological error with regarding to you know that God is a Father. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six and verse nine, used the fr- very phrase "Our Father who art in heaven." Our Father who art in heaven. In fact, God is referred to as Father right through Scripture. But having said that, though, I want us to remember that there are also numerous instances in the Bible where God is likened to a mother or a woman. God is likened to a mother or a woman. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 13 says this, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. That's God's words himself. As a mother comforts her child, I will comfort you. God in scripture is referred to as a mother eagle hovering over her young in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in Hosea chapter 13 and verse 8, God is described as a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Interesting, isn't it? And what that tells us is that there is much that we can learn about God from the perspective of a mother and a woman. And today, being Mother's Day, I thought it would be fitting for us to look at God from this sort of perspective. And what better way to do that than from the book of Ruth? Now, some of you might be familiar with Ruth. It's a beautiful uh, story in the Old Testament. comes straight after the, the book of Judges right there at, uh, in the early parts of the, uh, of the Old Testament. And my purpose this morning in, in using Ruth is because um, I came across these words from Chuck Swindle. He says, this, he says, Ruth is a book that views God through the eyes of a woman, and that woman being Naomi. Almost every event, he says, in this book relates back to her. It recounts her family's journey from Bethlehem to Moab due to there being a famine in the land. It tells of her husband's and her son's deaths. 
It speaks of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, and especially Ruth. It speaks of her return to Bethlehem, of her relative Boaz, of her land and of her grandchild, and most importantly, of her God. Now, there are three main characters in this story. I've already named a couple of them, Naomi and Ruth. And the other person is a man called Boaz. So what I want to do this morning is to look at each of these three people's lives, both individually but then collectively, because I think through them we can learn something very, very special about God's nature and character today. So will you pray with me and let's ask God to, uh, to be our teacher today. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this opportunity to meet together. We want to thank you, Lord, this morning for uh, the opportunity to open up your word and to learn from it. Help us today to learn something new about yourself. Help us today to, uh, to see that, uh, that there is something that we can very much learn about you from the perspective of through a woman's eyes. And, uh, Lord, we pray uh, today that, uh, you know, for, uh, for all of us, that we would uh, get a fresh glimpse of your majesty, your glory, your goodness and your kindness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with Naomi then, as the uh, the central uh, sort of one of the central characters of our uh, of our passage this morning. And with Naomi, we uh, we understand or we learn something about God, the fact that God is full of compassion. In fact, Scripture teaches us that God is indeed a God of compassion. Psalm one hundred and three, verse thirteen says, "As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him." In the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, we read about an incident of a, a widow uh, in this town of Nain. And, uh, and Jesus encounters them as, uh, as this funeral cortege is coming out of the city to bury this woman's son. And, uh, and in Luke 7.13, as he comes across this scene, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, people who are just weeping uh, with the mother there, Jesus walks up to, uh, to her. And, uh, and, and we are told about Jesus' um, his, his response to this scene and, and particularly to this mother's need. And it says in Luke's chap- Luke chapter 7, verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw her, it says he had compassion on her. That word compassion is a, is a word that sort of really speaks about this really deep gut response of, of wanting to just draw alongside and to help and to comfort and to, uh, and, and, and to, uh, just support in, in whatever way possible. It's this deep centered feeling that, that comes from, from, from deep within us of compassion. That's what Jesus was sort of feeling. And it's interesting because here in, in, uh, in this book of Ruth, we find that that's Naomi's situation. Naomi has, uh, has come back to, uh, to Bethlehem, her hometown, having uh, lost both her husband and her sons in Moab, in the, the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River. And in the midst of Naomi's loss and grief at the death of her husband and sons, we see as we read through the story that God himself provides another woman, this woman Ruth, to actually be a means of compassion to her, of God's compassion to Naomi. God provides Ruth and, and through Ruth, God would bring about this, this redeemer, this restorer of life and this nourisher in Naomi's old age. I love that, uh, that verse in, uh, in Ruth chapter 4. 
that, uh, that when this grandchild is born, and we'll get to that in a minute, when this grandchild is born, it speaks about the fact that he will be a restorer of life and a nourisher for Naomi in her old age. I want you to think about you know, and keep that, kind, that, that verse central in your thoughts this morning as we work through this. A restorer of life and a nourisher in old age. See, when Naomi returned from Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she was a widower and an old widower at that. And um, please, I'm not making any kind of denigrations on age here, ladies. All right, so please uh, don't, uh, don't take this personally. But she was. She was an older lady, an old widow. Sorry, I'm getting mouthed at by my wife here. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <clears throat> Now, the reason I point that out is this, is that in that particular culture, in that day, first of all, to be a widow meant that you had no means of actual support or care in that community. Your husband and your sons were indeed your primary means of being able to be, you know, to actually live a life in that community. They provided for you. Your husband went out to work or your sons went out to work and they provided food on the table. They provided a a home and all that sort of thing. And without a husband and a son, a woman was in a very, very vulnerable situation. An extremely precarious situation for Naomi because she has neither husband nor sons. And so when she comes back from Moab, in the midst of her grief, she comes back to a, to a situation where it is completely hopeless for her. There's no social security system in, you know, set up in, in, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel in those days. She is in, a, in such a situation where she doesn't even know where the next bit of bread that she's going to have is going to come from. Being old, there was no real prospect for her to find another husband to care for her either. We see that in Ruth chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, where it says, But Naomi said to, uh, to the, where she's leaving Moab, she speaks to her daughters-in-law, Orpah, and to Ruth, and she says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband." Naomi knew her situation. She knew how hopeless it was. And she knew that, you know, that, that being as old as she was, she was, she had no hope of, of, of having a husband of her own in the future. But God was there. God was there for Naomi. And in, and what he did is he provided Ruth. This young Moabite woman, her daughter-in-law, to come and care for her. Ruth here is the unlikely heroine in this story. You know, in uh, in um, in Luke's gospel, you hear about the the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. 
and there's a man who has been, uh, you know, he's on the side of the road. He's been bashed up by bandits. And Jesus says that, you know, this, this priest comes by and, uh, and sees this man. And you'd expect that a priest in those days would be the first person that would care for this person. But he doesn't. He actually walks to the other side of the road and keeps going. And then a Levite, another person in a priestly line of priestly family comes along and he sees the man in his need and he too walks past the man and doesn't do anything to help him. And then shock horror, Jesus says a Samaritan man comes along, sees the man in his need and actually helps the man and takes him and dresses his wounds and cares for him, takes him to a place to where he can be cared for and actually pays for this man's care for the, for the future. Now, in Jesus' day, that would have horrified his audience because the Jews considered the Samaritans to be a, uh, an inferior race of people. They looked down their noses at Samaritans. In fact, they were despised by, by real Jews. Well, Moabites were no less, you know, you know, no less despised than, 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 than the Samaritans were in Jesus' day. Here in this Old Testament passage, the fact that Ruth was a Moabite woman, she would have been looked, she would have been despised and, uh, and she would have had aspersions cast about her. She would have had people look down their noses at her and, and treat her quite terribly back in Jerusalem, back in Bethlehem. So she's the unlikely heroine in this story, but God uses this young woman in order to actually provide for Naomi. To care for her, God showed compassion and used Ruth as his means of showing compassion to Naomi. It's interesting that uh, as I think about you know, Ruth and, and the fact that she was a Moabite, the fact that she would have been despised and rejected, the fact that she would have been looked down upon, kind of reminds me a bit about uh, Isaiah 53 where it speaks about Jesus. You know, the one through whom God would demonstrate his great compassion on all of mankind, on guilty sinners, he would himself was kind of like this unlikely kind of, of messiah, of hero, if you like, in the, in, in the story of God's redemptive plan. But he himself was one who was despised. He himself was one who was rejected. He himself was acquainted with grief and sorrow, and yet... We're told that he was the one who would bear the burden of our sin. He would bear the burden of our sin. And as I look at Ruth, I see in, in, in a way that Ruth is almost bearing a kind of a burden for Naomi in this passage. As God's means of, of showing compassion on Naomi, Ruth is, is kind of just bearing that burden. But it's a burden that she gladly bears. It's interesting as we as we read through Ruth, we see that uh, that that she was prepared to do whatever was needed in order to to, to help Naomi and, and to provide for Naomi. In chapter two, it says when Naomi, uh, it says now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of, of of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth the Moabite. It's interesting that Ruth is often referred to as the Moabite in this in this in this book, reminding us again of who she is. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go on. Get, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain for he, after him, in whose sight I shall find favor." Ruth was prepared to go out and actually, you know, glean in the harvest fields 
to pick up what was left over after the harvest in order to provide food for Naomi. It was hard work out there in the hot sun, you know, for hours and hours and hours, walking along behind the harvesters and just picking up whatever you know, bit of grain or sheaves of, 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 of wheat that was left over or barley that was left over behind the harvesters. She worked hard. She worked tirelessly. Through her, God was providing for Naomi. He was providing food and in a way was providing life for her. Ruth was God's means of showing his compassion. And it reminds me, as I think about that, it reminds us that you know God uses people today to show compassion, to show his compassion to one another. God wants to use people today to show his compassion. He wants to use you and me to show his compassion to our world today. He wants to use each and every one of us in our own situations, no matter where he's placed you. And all, we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. and We all have different kind of circles of people that we move within. And there are many, many needs within those kinds of spheres of influence that we have. And God wants to use you as his instrument in that place to show his compassion. And it might mean, like Ruth, that you might need to work hard to do that. That it will take effort to do that. But that's what God calls us to, doesn't he? To show his compassion. Because he himself is a God of compassion. As we see the needs around us, we should be like Jesus to have our hearts moved within us. To see the needs of people and to be moved in our beings by God's compassion for them and to be his vessels, if you like, to bring his compassion into that situation. You know, as we think of mums today, many of you mums have shown that to your children and your families. Day after day, year after year, you've done that. And yes, it can sometimes come at incredible cost. But take great comfort today that God is using you as a mum within that, in your situations as a means of showing his compassion, not just to your children and to your family, but as a witness to other people around about you of his compassion as well. God is a God of compassion. Let's leave Naomi and move to Ruth then, where we see an example of God's steadfast love and faithfulness in this young lady. See, when Naomi actually begged her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to, to go back to Moab, she was heading back to Bethlehem, they're on the road there coming out of Moab, and she says to them, and she says, you know what, it is pointless you coming with me. Why, why would you come with me when you know that I'm going to be going back to, back to Bethlehem, back to nothing? I am going to be in, a, in abject poverty when I go back to, to my home. And yes, I might be among my own people, but my, hope, my future really is not very bright at all. In fact, it is incredibly bleak. Why would you want to come with me? Go back to your own families. Go back to your own households. You, 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 go back to your own mothers and, and, and find new husbands and make new lives for yourselves, she says. 
But Ruth, we are told, would not desert her. Look at chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. Speaking of the daughters, then they lifted their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But what do we read about Ruth? Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone... This is Naomi speaking to Ruth. She said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. What an incredible display of loyalty and of love and faithfulness that Ruth shows to Naomi in that particular encounter. You know, she could have thought of herself in that situation and thought, you know what, Gag, really going with you, Naomi, my, my future is going to be looking just as bleak as yours. So, yeah, I think I'll go back home, thanks very much. I might take the easy way out here and I have a chance of at least some kind of decent kind of future, finding another husband or whatever. But no, it says that Ruth clung. Ruth clung to Naomi. And then she makes this incredible statement of loyalty and she says, where you go, I'll go. You know, Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And believe me, when she says that, she knows that death may be not too far away when she goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi because there won't be any food for them. Ruth would not desert her. It's interesting that uh, in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 11, we hear Boaz's words to Ruth as he recounts the things that he's actually heard about her. And he says to her in in chapter 2 verse 11, he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz is, is, is so in admiration of this, of this young woman in, in terms of her loyalty, her steadfast love and faithfulness to Naomi. And it's this picture, this wonderful picture of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. In chapter 2, verse 23, we're told that, uh, that, that again, that, uh, that Ruth... This incredible loyalty of hers, it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 23, that she lived with her mother-in-law. In other words, she stayed with her, she associated with her, she dwelt with her. There in the midst of her circumstances, she was going to be with her, she was going to be all in. If you come along tonight to hear the sermon by Louis Giglio, that's going to be a phrase that you'll hear a lot tonight. That's all in. Ruth was going to be all in with Naomi. And that is a wonderful picture of God's love and faithfulness. We're reminded in Scripture, Psalm 103, verse 11, where it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love to those who fear him. 
In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Although we were unlovely, although we were enemies with God, although we were in, at war with God, God in his mercy and compassion stepped down and he decided that he would die for us, for our sins, even though we were his enemies. Ruth came from a group of people who were in fact enemies of the people of Israel, of, of, of the Jews. And yet she came and she showed great love to this Jewish woman, Naomi, by being with her, by dwelling with her, by putting her life all in with her to show her that love, to show her God's love. See, Ruth chose Naomi and that reminds me that God has chosen us. In his grace and in his mercy, he didn't have to, but he chose to do it out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his love, of his compassion, his faithfulness to us. He chose us in Christ. He chose us in order to show his love and favour towards us. And just like, Naomi, just like Ruth would not let Naomi go, God promises that for those who put their faith and trust in him, he will not let us go. Despite the fact that we might be unfaithful to him, God is always faithful to us. No matter what. Now isn't that the greatest reason for hope in our lives ever? Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been shown to us, that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Because God is this steadfast, faithful, covenant-keeping God. Willing to lay down his life for us. And in the person of Ruth, we see these glimpses, these shadows of Jesus. As Ruth left her home in Moab, Jesus left his home in heaven left the glories of heaven behind in order to come and dwell with his people. John chapter 1 says he made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent among us. He put himself all in for us that he might show his love for us. Ruth left her home. She came to serve. She, in fact, came to lay down her life to make her dwelling with Naomi. And that is exactly the picture that God wants us to see of himself in that. And it's not just speaking of a group of people collectively, although God is speaking about that, but he's speaking about you individually. You. They're sitting there in that seat this morning. God is saying exactly the same to you. And that he wants you to, to know of his great steadfast love and faithfulness towards you. 
In your sin and in your rejection of Him and in your, you know, your disobedience and all that sort of thing, God wants you to know that if you trust in Him, He wants to be all in with you in your life through every aspect of your life, through every challenge, through every trial, through every fear. He wants to be with you in order to give you a hope and a future. Doesn't that make the hair stand up on the back of your neck? So we've looked at Naomi, we've looked at Ruth, we're going to look quickly at Boaz. It kind of carries on this whole theme of God's compassion, his love and, and steadfast faithfulness. We're going to look now at God's kindness. See, as Ruth gleaned in the fields, we're told that she caught the eye, the eye of the owner Boaz. We see this in chapter 2 of Ruth. And Boaz was quite impressed by this young woman. By the way, this is a quick aside. It's interesting that Ruth would find herself in the fields of Boaz. Some people would put that down to coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence with God. And as we, as God's people, put ourselves in God's hands and we trust him and we move forward in faith, God promises to direct our steps. And he directed Ruth's steps to the field of Boaz. Ultimately, Boaz owed this woman nothing. He'd been obedient to God in following God's commands in leaving over the leftover grain for the poor in the community. And we read about that in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, where God says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather after the gleanings after your harvest. In other words, those things, those bits and pieces that get left behind. Years ago, I was a... Um, Worked on my brother-in-law's farm. He's a sweet potato farmer. Some of you know him. He's, he's part of the church family here, Philip. And uh, and you would we would harvest sweet potatoes, and the sweet potatoes would come up the harvester, and you'd sort of try to pick them off the vines as quickly as you can, and and put them in buckets. But inevitably, what happened is that some of the sweet potatoes would go off the back of the harvester, and they would fall on the ground. Now, there wasn't people who were coming behind us to pick up those leftover sweet potatoes. Mind you, there were some pretty good sweet potatoes we picked up, if you like sweet potatoes. Instead, it was birds and, and those sort of animals were coming up after, you know, after and that sort of thing. But it's the same kind of thing here. With those things that get left over, this is the gleanings that God is talking about. And he did that in order to provide for the poor and, and, and the, dis, you know, the, the disenfranchised in the communities in his day. God's compassion again. And, and Boaz was following that. And what we discover about Boaz is that he's a worthy man. In chapter 2 and verse 1, we read about the fact that he's a, a man who is a, 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 this worthy man, this man of integrity, this man of character, of upright character, and a man of means. And he shows kindness to this woman in need. And through her, he shows kindness to Naomi. And he gives her, as we read through, he gives her much more than he needed to, and that came at a personal cost to himself. He gave her much more than, she, than, than, than he really was, was expected to. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7 speaks of God's kindness in this way. 
And it's similar to the Titus passage that Janine read to us this morning. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying here is that you know God saw our great need, our, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and in his kindness, at great cost to himself, at great personal cost to him, providing and giving his son as a ransom for us and for our sin, he blessed us in saving us from our sin. But not only did he just save us, but he then seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus as joint heirs with Christ. That's what God has done for us. That not only has he just saved us from our sin and actually given us the fact that we know we actually get to be in heaven, but he's seated us in the heavenly places. He's given us a seat at his table. He's given us all of his riches, all of his great blessings to us in Jesus Christ. He's gone far, he's given us far more abundantly than we ever, ever deserve at great cost to himself. God's kindness to us. He's poured out his riches upon us. And as we discover in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 4, Boaz becomes this kinsman redeemer for Naomi and in marrying Ruth also brings her into his household as well. And it's interesting because as you read through this passage, we haven't got time to do it this morning, that that Boaz, there's a real determination on Boaz in order to, to help these women out. You know, he goes to great and extraordinary lengths to, to be this, this kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. In fact, that there was a person in the, in this particular culture who actually had first dibs, if you like, on being the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. In fact, what, uh, what, um, Boaz does is actually sort of goes and he gets the elders together at the city gate and he says to, uh, to this man, this, this no-name man who kind of just appears in the passage and he says, you know, you have, uh, you're the, you're the, the, the first person who gets the right to, uh, to be their kinsman redeemer for, for Naomi. And what will happen is that you will get her land. And the man's eyes sort of light up. Oh, yeah, righty, eh? More land for me. But then Boaz says, oh, and by the way, if you actually take Naomi and her land, you actually also inherit her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who you have to marry. And then he thinks, uh-oh, there's a catch here. Yeah, no, thanks very much. She says, he says, she's all yours. And he hands his sandal, he takes his sandal off and he gives it to her, which is kind of like a, a bit of a custom in those days of sort of really you know, ratifying the agreement. Boaz didn't care. He didn't mind making, making a sacrifice. God doesn't mind making the sacrifice. And he takes us, no matter who we are, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter the depth of our sin, no matter our character, that sort of thing, God doesn't care. But what he wants to do is he actually wants to embrace you and show you his love and his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness. That's because that's who God is. He doesn't care where you've come from, but he wants to bless you. And he wants you to be his child. And he wants you to experience all the abundant blessings of being his forever and ever and ever. That's the kind of God that we serve today. 
That's the kind of God that we're speaking about here and what the Bible speaks about, the kind of God the Bible speaks about. That's the kind of God who is prepared to go to extraordinary lengths in order to secure us for himself. And again, we're not just speaking collectively here, but we're speaking individually, you as a person. And you know your heart, you know what you like. You know the kind of person you are. You know the kind of situations you've come from. You know your backgrounds. You know you've got those, perhaps those, those inner secrets that you, that you can easily hide from everyone else, but you can't hide them from God. And you think, you know, can, can God ever love a person like me? This book tells, says to us that God can indeed love a person like you. And in fact, he wants to pour out his love on a person like you. To redeem you and in in order to become a restorer of life to you and a nourisher in your old age. That's the kind of God that we we find here in this passage, in this book. And we see that God enabled Ruth and Boaz to have this son. And it it was this child who would bring hope to Naomi and would change her circumstances from bitterness and hopelessness to having her life restored and being nourished in her old age. In other words, to give her joy and hope. And God wants to do that for each and every one of us. And by the way, he wants to use each and every one of us as his instruments and as his vessels to take that same message out into our communities in order that people will hear this wonderful news of God's kindness to them and bring hope and to bring about a restoration of their lives and a nourishment of their lives through Jesus Christ. Did you know that this morning, that God actually wants to use you like he did Boaz and Ruth in this passage, this grandchild, to actually be a restorer of life and a nourisher of lives in our community today? God wants to use you. Isn't that an incredible privilege? Well, let's quickly finish up. Collectively, what we see through this whole story is God's providence. See, the story of these three people is set amidst these incredibly dark times. It's interesting that the book of Ruth comes straight after the book of Judges. And the last verse in the book of Judges says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in fact, if you read through Judges, you see there's this, this, this downward spiral in the nation of Israel. The people would, you know, they'd rebel against God and they, you know, they go out, they chase after foreign gods and they'd worship other gods. And then God would use a means of, you know, of, of some kind of means in order to just, you know, basically shake his people and, and make them wake up to his love for them. And he'd use them as a form, he'd use form, different forms of discipline. And often he would use surrounding nations who would come in and invade the land. God would use them as his instruments of, of showing discipline and of shaking the people out of their stupidity, if you like, to make them see how good they've got it with God. And so the people would get to the stage and they'd be really burdened by this and then they'd cry out to God, God, save us. And God would send a deliverer and a judge and he'd save them and he'd rescue them. And then we'd start this whole spiral again. And so in, in, this, in, in, in Ruth's day, in Naomi's day, Israel was in a really, really dark place. There was a lot of, of immorality, of idolatry, of all sorts of stuff that was going on. People were doing what was right in their own eyes. Doesn't that remind you of our world today? But yet in the midst of that, we see that God is at work. 
And if, you know, we can be encouraged by that today, living in our own context, that God is at work. In his summary on Ruth, this fellow that I uh, really got a lot of admiration for, his name's Alistair Begg. He's a pastor in the States. He's been pastoring a church in Cleveland in Ohio for about 30-odd years. He says this. He says, it is against this backdrop of strife and chaos that this story unfolds. Ordinary people in Bethlehem facing the everyday events of life, marriage, moving home, bereavement, family relationships, and so on. And he says, in all of this, we're reminded that no matter how dark or how dramatic the events of life appear to be, God still has his people and is still working out his purposes. It is in the humdrum and routine events of life that we discover God at work. And if you have ever wondered if God really knows who or where you are, what circumstances you find yourselves in, or whether he could possibly be interested in you, then you can find great comfort from this lovely book because we are all in God's hands. And God, despite all of the things that happen in this world and in our lives, God is working out his plan. And if we put our faith and our trust in him and we choose to follow him and we choose to obey him, God says that he will indeed direct our steps and he will work things out for his good, for his glory and for our good. Just as he did here for Naomi and Ruth. If we place ourselves in his hands, we can be assured that God himself watches over us and he will extend to us not only his compassion, not only his steadfast love and faithfulness and his kindness, but he himself will be the restorer of our lives. He himself will be the nourisher of our lives right through into old age and beyond. God will indeed be the one who can give you a future and a hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful... uh, book of of Ruth that reminds us again of this wonderful, compassionate, loving, faithful, kind God. A God who is so intimately aware of where each and every one of us find ourselves even today. And as we Think about one another here in this building where all of us are facing specific circumstances and situations to ourselves. Where we have doubts, we have fears, we have worries, we have anxieties. Lord, we're faced with situations which seem to us to be sometimes overwhelming. God, you're there. You're there. And we thank you that you chose to record this account of Naomi and Ruth for us in the Bible. These wonderful women who you used to bring about your plans and your purposes. For we know that what will eventually happen is that grandchild of Boaz and Ruth would become the grandfather of King David and would be a descendant of Jesus himself. It would be through this line that you would bring about your Messiah. Father, this morning, we sitting here in this place, we want to be 
comforted and assured of knowing that no matter where we're at, that you are bigger, you are greater than any situation or circumstance we can face. And if we put our hope and our trust in you, Lord, you will not disappoint us. That you will be with us. And that you will indeed be a restorer of life and a nourisher of life for us. And that you want to use us as your instruments to demonstrate that and and, and tell that to the world around about us. Thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.